Uh, So now we will turn to the reading of God's word. So would you stand with me? And we're going to read from John 3, 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I say to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Well, good morning, Christ community. Uh, Good to be with you all. My name is uh, Reed Kappel. I serve as the campus pastor at the Olathe campus, and uh, it's a joy to be with you this morning, and what I wanted to do, I'll give a further kind of introduction to our time together, but I wanted to take a moment to pray. Um, As many of us know, the situation going on in the Ukraine, and uh, I believe as the people of God, uh, it is appropriate and right for us to pray. If you're like me, you have been wrestling with and trying to reconcile in our minds um, how how a good and sovereign God is, is at work in this world, and yet we still see chaos, we still see evil, we still see war. And so whatever emotion you bring uh, into this space as we think about the turmoil around our world, um, it is appropriate and right and good for us to pray. And so what I want to do is read uh, a portion of Psalm 10. Uh, The Psalms have been a companion in my life, but recently have been um, a profound comfort. And and Psalm 10 gives language to what I have wanted to pray. And so I want to read part of it and then just pray uh, together as a church family for both our brothers and sisters in Ukraine but also for the turmoil we're seeing. And so, so hear these words from Psalm 10, verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand and forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked, an evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, your heart, the desire of the afflicted, you will strengthen their hearts. You will incline your ear. 
to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, you are the sovereign ruler and king over all the earth, and you do good in all that you do. And yet, Lord, we feel and sense the visceral reality that that the world is not the way it is supposed to be. Lord, we feel even in the comfort of our homes and of our nation now the reality that that is not the case in other parts of this world. And so, so, Lord, we do pray and we lift up particularly the church in Ukraine for brothers and sisters of the faith who are committed to Jesus and his ways. Lord, that you would strengthen them, uphold them, lift them up, remind them of the hope that is theirs in Christ. Give them a, a voice to speak out properly. Protect them, Lord, from evil. And Lord, we do ask that you would, by your grace and your mercy, would you intervene? Would you bring justice? Would you bring peace? Lord, we know that war breaks your heart. It is not a part of your good design for life and for the flourishing of this world. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be the God who you've declared to be, the God of all justice and righteousness, and that you would act. But Lord, in this time, we cry out and lament and declare this ought not to be so. May we be faithful in prayer. May we be faithful in lamenting. May we be faithful in weeping with those who weep in this time. And may we cry out with greater anticipation and conviction of spirit, come, Lord Jesus. It is in the name of Christ and for his glory that we pray. Amen. Well, again, as I, as I mentioned, my name is Reed, and there's, there's, again, there's no easy way in transitioning from a prayer about turmoil in our world uh, to this time together. But, um, but let me just say, I, I am really delighted to be here. Uh, I know some of you, I don't know most of you, but um, if you don't know me, I'd love the chance to say hi, come find me after the service. Uh, I'd love to, to hear more about who you are, your story. And, and so while we're not strangers, I thought I'd just introduce a little bit about uh, myself. I've been on staff at Christ Community for 14 years and some of you are like, you look like, I started when I was three, uh, and so, um, but I started out as the pastor of high school ministries at our uh, Leewood campus, and I loved working with students. I still love working with students and being around students, uh, but I have been on staff at our Olathe campus for the past six years. Five of those have been serving as the campus pastor, and, and I do love what I get to do. It is a joy. Um, my, my family life, uh, so I'm married to my wife, uh, Megan. We've been married this summer. will be 17 years, so that's, that's my wife and my kids. I've always said, like, it looks like somebody photoshopped a strange man into this family photo. Like, I do, like how did these children come from me? I have no idea. But, uh, but my, my wife, Megan, and I, uh, we have four kids, Lula, Jane, Pearl, and Edmund. Uh, Lula's 13, uh, Jane is 11, Pearl is 8, Eddie is Five and so we we do we love uh, we love being a family together. There's a lot of laughter, uh, usually a lot of laughter at me, and and that's that's actually a good thing. That's that's one of my love languages is people laughing at me. Truly, um, but there was there was actually a moment where there was some great laughter in our home recently, where my son Edmund told my wife Megan that he wanted to be a pastor when he grew up. And I was like, oh, like, I just like, it kind of warmed my heart, right? Because like when, when you're a child, if you have a child and they tell you like, I want to, you know, follow in your vocational footsteps, they're essentially saying, I want to be you when I grow up. You know, like that's a sweet moment, right? You would think, <laughs> you would think, because what happened is that uh, my wife, Megan, asked Eddie like, so why do you want to be a pastor? To which Eddie said, it doesn't j- seem like that much work. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, come on, man, like. 
I'm used to the old joke that pastors work one day a week. I get it. But from your own flesh and blood, like, come on. And so, I mean, we had a good laugh. It was, it was hilarious and a moment that I will not soon forget. But, but as I was thinking about that story, I and mean, this just happened a few weeks ago, as I was thinking about that story and, and as I was studying John 3, our text this morning, it led me to think, like, I wonder the way in which we think about the invitation Jesus gives us to be born again. I mean, Jesus is emphatic. We must be born again. And I wonder if we apply the same kind of rationale that Eddie does to the pastoral role to the life of being born again. That why not be born again? Because it's, it's rather simple. It's easy. It is not a work that is done of ourselves. Jesus is, is very clear about that. So why not be born again? Because it doesn't seem like that much work. But is that what, is that what Jesus is getting at? Is, is he literally saying, like, oh, yeah, being born again, it's really not that big of a deal, you know, just sign here and you're in. Like, what is Jesus saying when he invites this truth to Nicodemus and to us, to all people, to be born again? Is Jesus communicating that the life of living in the Spirit, seeing and entering the kingdom is a simple life, a life void of work and effort? What is Jesus getting at? What does it mean to be born again? And so we're going to spend some time in this rather popular chapter of Scripture. I mean, if there's, if there's a list of popular, well-known chapters in the Bible, John 3 is one of them. It houses John 3.16. And so in this text, in this interaction that Jesus has with Nicodemus, it is quite clear. Whatever being born again means, Jesus is clear, we must be born again. That it's emphatic. It, it is clear. There, there is no other option in order to find life. And so what we're going to do as we dive into this passage together, I want to focus in on what Jesus is focusing in on and that is this is just one idea. I'm kind of a one-trick pony when I preach. One idea, hear this. Being born again is the only way to live. If there's one thing you kind of take from our time, I want to hammer this truth that I think Jesus is bringing our attention to. Being born again is the only way to live. So Jesus is declaring that there is no other way to, to the life we long to live. There's no other way to wholeness, to healing, to forgiveness, to reconciliation, to freedom, apart from being born again of the Spirit. And so if you have your Bibles, whether paper or electronic, turn with me to John chapter 3 again, and we see the introduction of the person Jesus is talking to. Verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and what that means is that he was like a professional religious expert, okay? Like he was, he was paid to be religious, you know, on purpose. And, and to be a Pharisee meant that he was an expert in the Mosaic law, an expert both as a, as a student, as a teacher, and as an observer of it. But in addition to that, we see that, that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. This is a reference to his spot on what was referred to as the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was this Jewish council of leaders appointed by Rome to bring order to the Jewish people because during this time, um, like the entire known world was, was under Roman rule. And the way Rome provided kind of subcategories of leadership was by appointing these councils that reigned over particular provinces and people groups. And for the Jewish people, that was the Sanhedrin. So the Sanhedrin wasn't just a religious council. It had authority over the people of Israel. So, so to put, kind of paraphrase it, Nicodemus is kind of a big deal, like religiously speaking, but also in terms of his authority over Israel, over the Jewish people. And so think of Nicodemus as kind of like the president of a, of a seminary, a denomination, or maybe in higher church traditions, like an archbishop of some kind. He's a big deal. And this man is coming to Jesus 
and inquiring of him. He's, he's intrigued by Jesus to some degree. And we see this in verse 2. Now, this man came to Jesus by night, we'll come to that in a second, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, if you aren't familiar with the gospel writer John, John routinely, in his gospel and his letters, routinely uses the metaphors and the imagery of darkness and light to communicate truths of, of death and life, of truth and lies. And every time, I mean, virtually every time that John references darkness, there is some kind of moral, spiritual, or intellectual darkness at play. And I believe that there's something that John is wanting us to see in Nicodemus, that something ain't right about Nicodemus. There's something amiss, either morally, spiritually, or intellectually, or perhaps a combination of the three. And so, so Nicodemus, even though he's interested in him, he's, he's coming to Jesus. He's interested in Jesus. He even gives him the moniker of, of rabbi, respectfully. But John helped, wants us to see that Nicodemus is still in some form of darkness. And this is evidenced by how Jesus responds to Nicodemus in verse 3. It says, Jesus answered him, which is interesting because Nicodemus didn't really ask a question, which is a way of Jesus saying, like, hey, like, here's, I'm going to answer the question you should have asked, which is kind of Jesus' way of saying, I know your heart better than you do. That's a truth about Jesus we see here. So in verse 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus has some level of recognition that Jesus is divine or associated with the divine in some way. He's recognizing that Jesus can't perform these miracles that he's witnessed unless he is from God or has an association with God or at least has God in his contacts in his phone. Like there's some association that Jesus has with God in Nicodemus' mind. But Jesus says to him, there's an even greater way of seeing than what you have seen. Yes, you've witnessed the miracles, and you are attributing them to God, rightly so, but there is an even greater object to behold than the miracles that you have witnessed, namely, the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is driving at. He's basically saying to Nicodemus, like, hey, you've seen the miracles, and you're recognizing that they're from God, but there's something even greater to behold, namely the kingdom of my Father that reigns and rules over all things, that knows no bounds, that touches every part of human existence in the entire cosmos. The kingdom of God is what you are to see and to enter by being born again. You see, according to Jesus, true life is only found when we live in and enter the life of his kingdom, where we live as Jesus as king, not just as an influencer, not just as a voice or a consultant, but as king over every square inch of our lives. The reason we must be born again is because it is the only way into life in Jesus' kingdom now and forever. Or to put it another way, we must be born again because being born again is the only way to live. Or to put it more starkly, I think what Jesus is trying to say to Nicodemus and to us through him is this, that Nicodemus, as, as religious of an expert as he is, as much as he displays this, this personification or this persona, rather, of spiritual life, Nicodemus is dead. That, that's what Jesus is driving at, that you have come to see miracles, but you have not come to see the fullness of the kingdom of God where life is found. You, 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 are, you are claiming to be alive, Nicodemus, but you are still dead. 
There is a death that looks like death, but it is still death. When I was, uh, when I was in college, um, I owned several cars, which, which there, there's ways of saying that sentence to make you sound like really wealthy and also really poor. I owned like 18 cars because they all broke down, and I was, I was in need of a car my freshman year of college. So many stories are coming to mind right now, but, but one, I was in need of a car. My brother Casey, I didn't have much money, my brother Casey took me to a police auction to buy my, my next vehicle, okay? So I was like, thank you, I'm not sure. And so we go to this police auction, and if you've never been, uh, there's a bunch of cars in the lot, and, and you basically just bid on them. And so you can kind of inspect them. If they have keys, that's great. If not, you don't know if they even run. And so they're all kind of junky, but I saw in the middle of this lot this pristine Dodge Durango, okay? So this was, I mean, it couldn't have been more than a year or two old, no scratches on it. I was like, this is my car. I was convinced of it. I was like, I want to bid on this. But as we got closer and popped the hood, there wasn't an engine inside of it. <laughs> and and I've, I remember, I don't know much about cars, but I remember reading an article that engines make cars go vroom, vroom, I think. And, and so, so we get up to it. So I'm like, this, this car, as, as much as it looked like it was fully functioning, the car was dead. There was no life inside it. It doesn't matter how shiny, how pristine it is. It was dead. It has the appearance of life. But inside, there is no life whatsoever. The car was dead on arrival. And that is essentially what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. He's like, Nick, you've got, you've got the symbol of life. You've got this imagery of life. You've got all the rules. You're following everything. But there is no life within you because you've not been born of the Spirit, and you have not come to see and enter the kingdom of God. And if there ever was a man who had the appearance of life, who was spiritually alive, it was Nicodemus. In all of his accomplishments, his accolades, and his accoutrements of religiosity, Nicodemus is still dead because he had not been born again of the Spirit. And so, friends, what Jesus is saying to us through his words to Nicodemus is that we don't simply, we don't simply need new thinking. We don't need simply new institutions or new practices or new insights. We need to be made entirely new. Jesus has not come to be a helpful supplement to our wounded life. He has come to bring new life entirely because to be born again is the only way to live. Because there is a death that is greater than the death that we tend to define as when our heart stops beating, when our lungs stop, stop breathing, when our brain stops functioning. There is a death that is greater than death, but also, the good news, there's a life that is greater than life. Amen? Amen? So listen, listen to how author Glenn Scrivener describes this reality of death that we tend to kind of see very myopically. He says this, there's death and there's death. Spiritually, says the Bible, we're dead already. Physically, we're just catching up with that reality. That's a perfect picture of what the Bible teaches about death, of what God's understanding of, of sinful death is. That we might be functioning, we might have a beat in our chest, and we might have breath in our lungs, but there is a death that is within us because of sin. And he goes on to say this, as my lifetime supply of heartbeats deplete one by one, I'm living out the death I was born into. There's a death that is greater than death. Life and death are far more than biological terms. They're no less than that, but they're far more than that. Scripture is teaching what we feel intuitively, that there's more to life than a functioning brainstem, and there's a death that's deeper than a cardiac flatline. Beyond our physical existence, there's a death to be feared and a life to be sought. And that's exactly what Jesus is getting at, showing Nicodemus that there is a death inside of him that he does not see. And there is a life outside of him that is made available by the power of the Spirit that Jesus is inviting him into. And some of you here are hearing these words, and they're resonating with you. 
They're reverberating in your heart because you, you identify with this idea of, of being kind of living but not being alive. And maybe you're asking yourself this question like, am I alive or am I just living? I mean, we colloquially even have this language like, oh man, she came alive in that moment. Or man, he just felt dead inside. Like we have a category of life and then life after life or beyond life. And the question that we should be asking ourselves is, am I truly alive or am I just living? Yes, I have a heartbeat. Yes, I have lungs functioning and a functioning brain. But has the Spirit come to bring life in me? So perhaps like Nicodemus, you have kind of a cursory interest in the ways of Jesus. You have an entry. You might even call him rabbi or teacher or, or king to some degree. Maybe you've even attended church. I mean, you come and you dabble in religious activity from time to time, but you're still dead. And then you know it. You sense this deadness because you've tried to fabricate a new life through religious activity, through intellectual engagement. You're, you're trying to pursue moral effort to bring about a new life. And Jesus is saying, that's not how it works. To be born again is the only way to live, and it is a work done of the Spirit outside of us. What, what we find ourselves doing is polishing that Durango, putting new rims on it, installing a new sound system, but it's still dead. As much as it may look alive outside of it through all of our activity, unless there's an engine put into it, it is a dead car in the same way unless the Spirit of God is at work within us, we are dead. There's a reason why Jesus emphasizes his point by needing to be born again by saying, truly, truly. This is, this is a phrase that's very unique to Jesus. We don't have any other recording of, of a teacher or a communicator in this time period that kind of speaks in this way, truly, truly, verily, verily, amen and amen, as other translations say. And Jesus, it's his way of saying like, hey, I'm truthfully telling you the truth that you must be born again. It's his way of, of highlighting, of emphasizing. It's, it's, if Jesus were sending this as a text, it would be like an emoji or a gif of some kind, trying to get people's attention, like, I'm telling you something that I need you to listen to. You must be born again. But the question that I'm sure is filling our minds and hearts is, but what does that mean? How are we born again? What does it mean to be born again? And that's exactly where Jesus takes us. And I want to just highlight two things. There's much we could say about what it means to be born again. Two things I want to highlight. And the first is this. To, to be born again means that an entirely new life emerges. An entirely new life emerges. It is not just a supplemented life. It is not just an improved life. An entirely new life emerges. And it's an entirely new life because it is a life lived under an entirely new king. That's why Jesus connects the kingdom theme to being born again of the Spirit. Being born again of the Spirit is not a religious experience we have. It's not a, a moment that we can kind of point back to. It may be that, but to be born again means that we are brought in to see and to enter the kingdom of God, which is God's reign and rule over all of life. It is not about adding some religious aspect to our lives. An entirely new life emerges. There is an entirely different orientation and trajectory and set of values that we receive when we are born of the Spirit. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been born again of the Spirit, you live the entirety of your life under the reign of King Jesus, that he has jurisdiction over every aspect, facet of your life. It means that when you enter into your Monday world, wherever that is and whatever that looks like, you enter in fully and functionally aware of the fact 
that Jesus is king, that his ways are your ways, that his truths are your truth, that his values are your values, that his loves are your loves, full stop. Being born again is recognizing that Jesus is king over all of life. He is not a supplement. An entirely new life emerges. And yet, we tend to equate Jesus with cologne or perfume. Perfume. We tend to think that like, the idea of following Jesus to be born again is to kind of, kind of spritz ourselves with this scent of Jesus. You know, like, like CK, born again, Christ the King, born again. Like, that's, the, that's the hint. Like, I like Jesus. I, I like the idea of him, but I, I, would, I would rather kind of generally stay the same person. I would like to generally have the same convictions and beliefs and value systems, but I want a hint of Jesus. I want to smell like Jesus, but not entirely give my life to Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is that to be born again means to see and enter the kingdom of God that is an all-encompassing reality that has implications for every square inch of our lives. To be born again of the Spirit means an entirely new life emerges. The second thing that it means is that this entirely new life that emerges is made possible by something outside of ourselves. It is not something that we can conjure up or fabricate by our own effort and will and abilities. It is a work done and given credit to a source outside of ourselves entirely. Every, every year on my birthday, um, for the past few years that I've known this man, a guy from our, the Olathe campus, I can count on Jason posting on my Facebook wall on my birthday, way to be born. You know, it's, it's just a silly way of like congratulating you, know, saying happy birthday. But like, and it's funny precisely because no one congratulates people on being born. Because we don't take credit. Like, it's like, yeah, I was, like, I was a very efficient child to come out of that birth canal. Like, no one's, that's a very vivid way of describing birth. Sorry about that. The point being is that we don't, we don't take credit for our own birth. We don't take credit for, for being brought into existence. It is a work entirely done by someone outside of ourselves. In the same way, to be born of the Spirit is a work that is accomplished outside of us. That if, be, if being born again was a movie, our name would not show up in the credits in any way. We wouldn't be the key grip, the first boy, or anything like that. We would be entirely void from the script, from the credits. And Jesus emphasizes this when he, when he says being born again, that word again, the, the, the Greek word behind the English word again is anothen. And that word can be translated as again or as above. And I believe Jesus has both ideas in mind. To be born again means that a new life emerges. To be born from above means that it is a work that comes from outside of us. To be born again means that we see and we enter the kingdom of God that is an all-encompassing reality over all of life. And it means that we come to see and enter this kingdom by means of the Spirit and not ourselves. Which is why Jesus says later in verse 8, this metaphor of the wind. He says this, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The work of being born again is entirely predicated upon the work of the Spirit. And that isn't because God is a control freak. It's because unless the Spirit does a rejuvenating, regenerating work in our lives, we are dead. There is no hope apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives. Again, to be born again is the only way to live. Not just because it's the best life. Not just because it gives us a coherence to our world. Although it does that. 
Being born again is truly the only way to live. And unless the work of the Spirit takes place in our lives, we remain dead. I have another uh, Eddie story. My, my five-year-old son, when he was, when he was one, uh, we took him and our kids to a, a, a friend's pool in their backyard. And we had this little flotation device that I could put Eddie in and allegedly would keep him upright uh, in the pool. And so after a good eight seconds of testing the integrity of this device that I bought from Aldi, um, I concluded, yeah, he's safe. He's good, okay? So I, I get out of the pool. So I'm in the pool. I put him in it, and he looks like he's fine. I get out of the pool. I go over to the diving board. I dive in. I come up. And, and the image that I saw still haunts me to this day. Eddie was face down in the water, flailing his little arms. And it was terrible. I mean, and like, and I mean I, I'm so thankful that I didn't just like sit there in shock and just, and just paralyzed fear. I was able to respond quickly and pull him out of the water. And it couldn't have been more than 10 seconds. But in my mind, it felt like it was a half an hour. If I did not intervene, Eddie would not make it. He is utterly helpless and hopeless in that moment unless a source outside of himself brings him out of the death that he's in to bring him into life. That is what it means to be born of the Spirit. That there is a death within us that cannot be reversed by any kind of effort that we conjure up within ourselves. It must be done outside of us. Absolutely nothing can be done to bring about this new work. And that is precisely what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. To be born again means an entirely new life emerges, and this entirely new life emerges as a result of a work outside of us. Again, because being born again is the only way to live. This is why Jesus says in verses 5 and 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit. Flesh begets flesh. Sin begets sin. A work of the Spirit is needed in order for a new life in the Spirit to emerge. And so when Jesus talks about it, he's giving us a fuller picture of what it means to be born again by referencing being born of the water and the Spirit, which some people think that that's a, a, a reference to physical birth and spiritual birth. But I think Jesus, he knows who he's talking to. He's talking to Nicodemus, this, this expert in the law. And Jesus here, he is quoting, he is echoing the words of the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27, we read these words, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness and from all of your idols, all of these false and empty gods you have turned to to give you new life. I will rescue you from all of their empty, hollow promises. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone and from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so here we see the fuller picture of what Jesus is getting at and what it means to be born again. That what we need is not just a miraculous resuscitation, but what we need is a messianic redemption. I'm going to say that again. What we need is not merely a miraculous resuscitation. We need a messianic redemption. And Jesus is giving us this fuller picture of what it means to be born again and how it is made possible. Yes, the Spirit is the one that brings about new life. But that new life is only possible with the cleansing, forgiving, and redeeming work of Christ who came to crucify our sin by being crucified in our place. Amen? That's the full picture of what it means to be born again. It is not just a religious experience. It is not just a spiritual moment. 
It is a work done by the triune God who is Father, Son, and Spirit who provided the means of redemption through his blood on the cross and through his spirit that gives us new life. To return to Jesus' metaphor of being born again, uh, I was talking with uh, uh, Pastor Nikki at our Olathe campus, and she was helping me understand this metaphor beautifully. She just said, like, just think about when a child is born. When a child is born, there is pain, there is work, and there is blood. But it is entirely the work and the pain and the blood of the mother that brings the child into life. It is not the work and the pain and the blood of the child. In the same way, the new birth that brings us into the new world of the kingdom is entirely the result of the work and the pain and the blood of the Lord Jesus who made possible the way to be born again. This is why Jesus mentions in verse 14, we'll look a little bit more at this next week, I believe, but what we see Jesus referencing in verse 14, that the Son of Man being lifted up, just as the serpent was raised up in in the desert, What he's referencing here is that when we look upon the crucified king, when we see God's provision in giving his son for us, this is the means by which we are able to enter the kingdom of God forever. How do we find wholeness in our brokenness? How do we find rescue from our lostness? How do we find forgiveness from our sinfulness and new life in our deadness? We look upon the miraculous provision that God has given us in his son. We look upon the one whose life of perfection is credited to us. We look upon the one whose death of atonement was in place of us. We look upon and trust and call out to the one whose resurrection of victory is shared with us. And we look to call out and trust in the one whose reign and rule as king lovingly summons and sends us into all of life. Amen? That is the fullness of what it means to be born again. And so friends, hear this. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been born again of the Spirit, I want you to hear these words of Jesus to Nicodemus as a reminder, as an invitation to continue walking in the Spirit, to continue, uh, your two words are this, to pledge and to pursue. If you are a follower of Jesus alive in the Spirit, your words are to pledge and to pursue. If the Spirit has given you new life to see and to enter the kingdom of God now and forever, then enter into your Monday life in your world with open hearts and open hands. And what I mean by that is this, with an open heart, pledge your full allegiance to Jesus. He he is the king overall. There's a reason why the kingdom language is so pervasive in the gospels. It is to communicate that Jesus owns it all and reigns over all. Surrender to his good, true, and beautiful reign over your life, but also enter into your Monday world with, with wide open hands, pursuing your vocation, your relationships, your time, your resources with his kingdom in mind. And we do so not out of a sense of paying back. We do so not out of a sense of obligation. We do so because we realize beautifully and joyfully that our bodies are not our own. They've been bought with a price. Therefore, we are to honor God with our bodies, with the totality of our existence. And if you are not a follower of Jesus yet, your two words are this, to repent and to receive. To hear these words of Jesus to Nicodemus as an invitation to repent and to receive. To see and to repent of the spiritual death within you because of sin and to receive Christ as your Savior and King because being born again is the only way to live. If you are here today and you are tired of of failing, you are tired of trying, you are tired of falling, tired of sinning, then my invitation to you is to hear the words of Jesus to turn to him and see him who descended into your death with you, 
in order to raise you up to new life with him. That is what Christ has come to do for us. See the one whom we sing of, behold the man upon the cross, our sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, we hear our mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought us life, and that is why we know that it is finished. Amen? All praise be to the Father who makes possible through his Son the new birth by his Spirit as our only hope in life and death. For being born again is the only way to live. And so what I, what I want to do is be prepared to continue in worship coming to the Lord's table. I want to lead us in a time of prayer and confession. And in this confession, what I want us to do is that if you were a follower of Jesus, I, I want you to hear these words as a declaration of your identity, responding still in repentance because that work never ceases as followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, hear this word and this prayer as an invitation to receive and to repent and to see and enter the kingdom of Jesus. This prayer of confession, as you will see, there will be a portion that I will lead. It says leader that I will read aloud. And then the second screen, you will see the portion that says all that we will pray together. And then I will close us in prayer together. So let us come to the Lord in prayer, the one who invites us to him. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has resulted in our brokenness and separation from you. And together, let us pray. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed, and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Father in heaven, I ask in this time that through the power of your spirit, you would comfort and challenge and build up your church, those who are alive in you. May we come to see more fully and enter more faithfully your kingdom. Lord, I ask that by the power of your spirit, you would awaken those who are dead in sin, who, who don't even know that they are dead. Lord, would you breathe new life into them? And would you make that possible through the water that is symbolized by the blood of Christ? through the work of your spirit, regenerating them. Lord, I pray that you would remove all barriers that stand in our way. May we see the depth of our death so that we might see the depth of your love and mercy towards us. Would you do a new work in us and through us? And would you do this for your glory and for our good? We pray this in the name of Christ and for his glory. Amen.